आई वी एम वेलकम टू एब्सोल्युटली राइट आई एम योर होस्ट अदिति सराना आर गेस्ट टुडे इज वन ऑफ माय फेवरेट स्कल्प्टर्स अरजान खम्बाटा अरजान इज एन आर्किटेक्ट बाय प्रोफेशन एंड पैशनेट स्कल्प्टर बाय चॉइस ही लुक्स फॉर हिज इंस्पिरेशन इन एवरीडे लाइफ एंड क्रिएट्स सम मेसमराइजिंग स्कल्प्चर्स एंड इंस्टॉलेशंस व्हेन ही बिगन हिज जर्नी इन 1983 ही यूज्ड टू कलेक्ट मेटल स्क्रैप टू क्रिएट हिज आर्ट पीसेस and as they were sculptures created out of scrap he called them scrapchers besides sculpting his interests lie in doodling and film making his first film titled decibel is based on a wacky view of noise pollution in bombay city on this episode of absolutely right we will speak about what keeps an artist going how did he survive the lockdown without his tools and studio What his handwriting reveals about his work style and Arzan's advice to anyone who would like to explore a career in art Pablo Picasso once said every child is an artist the problem is how to remain an artist once you grow up every time i speak with arzan his childlike curiosity to explore the unknown stands out he is definitely the child who has survived the adulting process While recording this episode the internet connection wasn't at its best so some parts are distorted we have tried our best to correct it so please bear with us Arzan will join us on the other side of this short break stay tuned Hey everybody welcome to another great week on the IVM podcast network if you're not following us on social media please do we're IVM podcast on Twitter Facebook and Instagram we'd like to thank our sponsors this week Paytm Money So a great week of shows behind us and hope that you've been catching up on as much of it as you can. We had Abhishek Bachchan on Football Shootball. Yeah, let me say that again. Abhishek Bachchan was on Football Shootball. Did I mention Abhishek Bachchan was on Football Shootball? That was a fun episode. You should definitely check that out. Really really deep conversation about cricket and things like that. We had Vikram Kochar on Cyrus Says talking about the platforms and stuff like what's going on over there. On uh, the note, Maruk had spoken to Sanjay Jha, which was again a really really interesting conversation on edges and sledges. The guys are having an interesting conversation about, well, you know, what are favorite formats of cricket and things like that. So it's just really been a really really awesome week on the network and please do check things out. And with that, let's get you back to your show. Hi Arzan. Welcome. Hi, hi. Hi everybody. I'm so excited to have you here also because we have been speaking almost every week with Correct. We talk about all of that. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being on the show. Pleasure. Absolutely. Arzan tell us what <clears throat> what is your inspiration as an as an artist uh, to take this career? uh so basically i'll tell you what it's so difficult to identify what your inspiration is while working if yeah. you see my work it's so varied it just flows from uh figures to abstract to stuff that is just got out of anywhere and so i feel that when you're living in a city like bombay mumbai uh everything in that city acts upon you the chaos chaos of the city when you're walking on the road when you're side stepping when you see people standing there when you see a little dog a boy feeding a dog or someone standing on a balcony and everything around you the signage is everything that engulfs you in an environment mm-hmm. is my inspiration so i always say i think bombay is my biggest inspiration the noise the chaos and everything huh? so i think all my subjects have been derived from that it's not that i i do a lot of horse heads as well it yeah. doesn't mean that i see a lot of horses in bombay but there's something about the fast galloping pace of the city 
everything that sort of acts you sometimes you can't pinpoint where it started from but right. definitely the city as a whole is my main inspiration i would say so you brought up in parsi colony is it absolutely absolutely yes brought up in parsi colony yeah i am brought up in badala and i okay. studied in school called ies i really passed parsi colony yes of course correct were fascinated by all parsis who never changed like yes. you saw them like when you are in fifth standard they looked like the same people living the same lifestyle yeah, yeah. on the contrary in that really really monotonous kind of a setting you i don't think anything about you or your collection or your work has been similar to what you did in the past so how did you manage to survive as a child to be this erratic in that setting uh so basically i i tried on that i tried to be different and i think it was something in me to do something different than no one had done i think that was my driving force and i got a lot of brickbats from a lot of old parsis in the colony who used to pull me up and say you know what are you doing your dad's a big architect you know you studied architecture but yet you're not sitting in his office and you're welding junk and scrap together and stuff like that and all these sort of comments used to only trigger me more to work that way and i used to sit in the studio from literally morning to night in that little room that i had in the colony itself and weld away like crazy you know i would i would just keep on welding and well you, you there's this powerful light which welding emits you know and everyone would see that they think i've gone crazy because i used to weld day in and day out carry scrap uh move through the colony completely filthy uh, with oil and muck and stuff on that like that and to me the dirtier i got at the end of the day the more it made me happy because i knew i had worked that much you know so it was like it was i used to walk with tremendous pride on the streets in that dirt because i used to love it and i know i had achieved something as to what i wanted to do and that just that just carried on from one to the other you know it's like a battle scar you had like a battle battle correct every day true so i i'm going to uh, patch in the listeners on this note that i remember coming to your studio and seeing your setup and i know how you keep carrying every broken thing that can be used in your art true. but tell us more about it because i'm sure people are not aware they think when you when you create art is like this uh, you know beautiful very very creative space unlike the studio where you are filled all the raw material required to create anything out of anything true so, true more about it and also uh, like refer uh, to the shiva uh skulls yeah. he's doing thanda which is yes. correct correct so so basically i started in 82 plainly using machine scrap uh machines used to fascinate me a lot okay is geared wheels and propeller shafts and chains and stuff like that all this heavy metal somehow fascinated me i can't explain why but it just sort of i just drew to it a broken bulldozer i would like stare at it for hours I, at that time we didn't have phones with cameras to sort of uh, collect data like that so i would sketch it and all that and then i started collecting the scrap and making sense from the scrap itself like the pieces of the scrap itself would tell a story right so it's it's like this this carpenter's vice that i have what you used to hold blocks of wood together it broke it broke and then i found out that one part of it looked like the father one part of it looked like the mother and there were three parts which came from it which looked like three tiny children So I made a sculpture called Father and Son, uh, Father and Mother with triplets. It's a family portrait with triplets. And <laughs> I used to play around with it. So so many times the machines used to tell me what to do. So I, I keep saying this, but this this washer, what you use to fix nuts and bolts together, that looked like a Mexican sombrero to me. Okay. <laughs> so I started making a Mexican sombrero. 
Then I made a little face under it, and then a little poncho out. This fellow is looking too sort of stark alone. So then I made him sit on a little mule. I gave the side baskets as they go to the bazaar. The side baskets that the mule that, and then he looked too alone. So I put one more person at the back with the sombrero. So I used to actually, uh, I would say, talk with the metal, literally converse with the metal, find out what the shapes meant, and then sort of keep on creating. You know, and right. like you said, you stepped into my studio. It's 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 uh, people call it the Aladdin's cave because it's got <laughs> yeah. so many things to look at. And one thing is that, of course, when you see an artist studio, since I'm not a painter and I work with metal, the whole studio looks like an industrial go-down because that's the kind of machinery I need to make my sculptures. So, by my studio, you will find closer to a fabricator's workshop than an artist studio. But it's what you see around that makes it into an artist studio. My unfinished pieces, the skeletons, the sketches, and or my cabin, which is my favorite space where I've got. All your collectible things from all over the world. I've got stones which are collected, and the best part is that every little thing has a story. So when I walk in there, I'm in the studio. I'm in my complete comfort zone. There is one place where no one tells me what to do. <laughs> in the in the house, you're guided by this room, that room, this room, and others. But in the studio, it's only me. You know, so it's a wonderful space to be in. So when we when we look at uh, you know today, uh, there are many international artists. Do this kind of work. They they take scrap and they create it. But I mean, you had no access to internet for sure. You had no reference to look at no. something. So it was completely original. It wasn't even like inspired by others. It was Correct. completely original. Yes. So how did you establish that idea or took it that as your career option? Ah, uh, so number one. It became a career by accident. It wasn't an option. It was. It started totally as a hobby, as you know. It started completely as a hobby, and like I said, it's it's uh, unexplainable passion. It's crazy. Like right now, if I look back, I say, how the hell did I work like that? You know, what what made me sort of go around uh, all over Bombay to scrapyard to scrapyard, construction sites, collecting them. I, I mean, I can't imagine doing it now, but. It must have been such a frenzy at that time to take these things and weld and create. And I worked my backside out during that time. Of course, my college education suffered because of that and everything. But but I didn't give a damn. I just wanted to create stuff from metal. And like you said, I didn't take it from anywhere. I knew that scrap metal in USA was being used as a medium of modern art in some places. It was. And that time we had access to very uh, few books and all that. The net was not there, nothing. But there was a sculptor in Bombay who I had never met. He had passed away by the time I came to know about him. A sculptor called Adi Davirwala, okay. and he used to do scrap metal sculptures. One of the most versatile sculptors that we had. He used to work in scrap metal, in new metal, in bronze casting, in plastic perspex. He used to carve wood and carve stone. Wow. Can you imagine? Wow. And phenomenal. And I know it for a fact that he never had a single assistant or a helper. He would do everything himself, whether the piece was two feet or eighteen feet tall. And uh, his works are uh, can be seen and seen at uh, Tata Institute of Fundamental Research okay. and the Omi Baba Institute. Phenomenal works of his. And I saw his studio, and I knew that if I my love for machines can be combined with my art, if I Take the machines apart and try to make sense from them and sort of make stuff, you know. So that was one big inspiration for me. And like I said, it was not done before, so all the more inspiring for me, right. you know. 
it's like it's like it's so funny it's i mean i'm sure it must be happening to you a client calls you and says i want to get this done have you done this before i said no i have not done this before but that's why i want to do it you know yeah. why should you have an experience in everything that that you you know it's like crazy someone wanted i remember mashals once for his bungalow in goa five foot mashals where which was spewing actual fire have you done this before i said naturally i'm not a, who will want five foot uh, mashals where it's it's not some uh, uh, not something on my list that i've done and all that i said i've not done it that's why i would love to do it but that's how i jumped into it uh studied everything the gas pipes and how the fire would go and how the fire would look and all that the work didn't come to me that's besides the point but it's just that the need to do something that has not been done that is what drives me even today you know yeah, i really agree and relate to this insistent need to just explore your world initially when i started analyzing handwriting i would go mm-hmm. to coffee shops and and go to anywhere and everywhere possible and look at people as handwriting sample or sources that they can give me handwriting sample correct Once I was walking on the road and a guy was wearing a T-shirt with multiple signature autographs of all three, mm. and I felt following this person. And my friend had to almost like stop me. Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I mean, no, no, no. Yes, yes. It's it's compulsion. I mean, I've I've gone around and I've picked up things from the road. My friends are saying, "What the hell are you doing?" I said, "This is an interesting piece. Let me pick it up. It will come in use." You know. So, yeah. so my friends used to make a lot of fun of me in a KC College when I was there. When when. when i was sculpting that time day in and day out they used to make a lot of fun of uh, they used to come to the studio you know so the sense of feeling that slight secret pride when yeah, yeah of course of course of course of course you have yeah. no clue what i can create out of this correct correct true true yeah yeah so and then of course then they weren't laughing because just one or two years after starting out the pieces started to sell so then they stopped laughing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that when somebody is making such choices or you know thinking about careers that are not uh, looked at i would not say with respect but you know you don't have enough qualification you don't have enough support you don't have enough data to to prove or to even claim that one day you can make something out of it correct what were the moments of feeling confused lost how did you deal with that phase in your life i think number one uh aditya i i came from a good family which is a very big help i mean if i was struggling to sort of survive or something i don't know what i would have done mm-hmm. and that's what i find with so many artists today the first thing they think about is money that also is wrong however in whatever situation you have to first start creating and then sort of think a little bigger so i was not hard and fast pushed to a corner that if this doesn't work so what i was very lucky in that way okay so my my the doubt whether this would work or not believe me was never there because i was so crazy into it and just one year into working uh, at it my pieces that i used to get home and and dad's an architect right. he used to have his da- architect friends over naturally for dinner or whatever they would see it and it was not because they were my friends that they would like it but they would give me genuine feedback to it a right. uh, couple of them bought a couple of my pieces so that's when i knew that this there is lucrative and immediately not even 4 years into doing this as a hobby architect noshit talati called me one day and noshit talati even now and then was a huge huge name and to be called by him was like i was like on on cloud nine he said make this piece for me outside jewel of india 9 foot piece he wanted and even the 9 foot piece i remember i made single handed because i didn't have anyone it was a hobby till then so i knew there was never a doubt that i would not be able to survive with this because i was gung ho about it and i was so convinced i didn't even want to study further 
Yeah. I didn't want to study for that. I said, I just want to weld in and out. And dad and mom said, nothing doing. You get a degree, you get something. That's how I went into architecture. Okay. Yeah. So, 82, I started sculpting. 86. For our comfort, not your comfort. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. But I'm very glad I did architecture because it was the first time that I felt I was doing something which was close to me, a 3D art. Architecture is also 3D art. And before that, I mean, things like chemistry and biology and all, I, I just couldn't. And maths, forget maths, but it's the other side down. Uh, numbers still till today if you show me numbers i'll get completely foxed i, I cannot understand numbers right. so so this is the first time actually i was in college and it's so important you know because i was forever being punished ridiculed by teachers because i was i was i was academic i was bad i mean it was a known fact my mm-hmm. textbooks used to be full of, full of sketches my mm-hmm. notebooks used to be full of sketches uh, uh, mostly caricatures of the teachers themselves so that would make them more angry so stuff like that I had a maths paper in which I didn't know anything. So I drew a tree and myself hanging from it like that from a loose thing, you know, stuff like that. And I never used to give a damn. I don't know where this came from, but I never used to give a damn because I knew I couldn't deal with numbers and all that. So it was, it was so certain. That's what I'm saying. It was so certain, this visual language. I knew I could master and I could take it forward for, to another level. And that's what, that's what happened. Gradually just grew. And I went along, you know, never, never left it. I mean, Till now, uh, you go to the studio and my thing is to, I have to do something which I've not done yesterday. So that is the aim, you know, to do, I mean, of course, you've got uh, ups and downs, you've got good days and bad days, but that challenge should be within you, which is that's still there. The spirit of experimentation is still there, which keeps on driving, you know, yeah. so that's it. So when the lockdown started and you could not go to the studio, you reinvented yourself by, by teaching people your... Yes lifelong pursuit I would not use a passion because passion <laughs> pursuit of doodling and creating you know mm-hmm. work out of pen strokes so True. Please, please tell us uh, how doodling works like my personal interest lies in this because I've been analyzing doodles and handwriting yeah. but then yeah. tell listeners about this like how so, how- so I, I, I started I'll tell you I'll tell you how I started doodling in 2000 2011, 2000, yeah, 2011, 2012, mom, mom fell very ill. She had a brain hemorrhage, okay? And she went into a coma and all that stuff. And all three of us, my siblings, not dad, we used to keep dad away uh, at home. Three of us used to sit at the hospital continuously. Someone or the other had to be with her. That's the rule we had made. And I spent such a long time there and there was no Netflix there. There was I, nothing which you could sort of do. I had this small book, which I still keep on showing you, the small red book. And I, I remember on way to the hospital, I picked up these pens and I said, let me do something. That's how I started. Detail, detail, detail. Because I had time on my hands. Right. I couldn't do anything uh, uh, after sitting there except do something like this. I mean, you can listen to music, but it just gets monotonous, you know. So I used to take these things, my sketchbooks, my little iPad where well, without the net and all that, you know, stuff like that. And I used to, I, that's how I started drawing. And I realized that it has the capacity to completely engulf you. It has the capacity to completely take you in the paper and sort of forget what is around, you know? And I have this, I don't know if I told you last time, but this thing about meditation. They say, you know, I I see someone sitting in the lawn below in my garden. And the common thing about meditation is, what do I tell you? Empty your mind. Try emptying your mind. How can you empty your mind? The moment you empty your mind, 
such nonsense thoughts will come in your mind <laughs> your meditation is going to go for a toss so to me meditation means doing something which takes your mind off the things that you're not supposed to be applying there you know like sometimes you're feeling a little unnervy sometimes you're feeling a little anxious i don't like going to work i don't like going for the meeting you jump into that work you jump into the meeting when you come out you realize you forgot what you were feeling right so that to me is meditation and doodling and all that i mean i've taught you all so many things yes. but it can completely engulf you i mean i have worked on a single page like 6 inches by 3 inches page for something like 8 days continuously in the same details and all that you know so it just takes you in it interests you it takes you in it and it sort of has the capacity to uh, cut you out from the world it's like it's like a musician who's doing riyaz i guess you know once they get engulfed in it they get mesmerized with their own sound and it just takes you in so it's one of the forms of meditation and i felt if i'm not able to do my sculpture workshops at the studio let me do this but this started not immediately during the lockdown because as the lockdown started i had other duties i was cleaning ceiling fans i was cleaning vessels i was cleaning under sofas i was cleaning cupboards i was doing all that and my daughter and i was doing these doodles for myself my daughter was in usa at that time now she's here she told me say what are you doing she said just do these insta live classes and go and there are so many people who will be interested and that's the whole, how the whole thing started you know and so, that's amazing like i feel you know i my father was an art director and i always saw him do something like this but he was very very strict as a person so you know how you associate certain characteristics so art was my dad strict thing to do so every time we sat next to him doing any art he just corrected us with so much of okay <laughs> i didn't want to go close to it yeah true all these years i always felt the desire to express on the paper mm. when i started attending your classes something very interesting happened you said you don't have to finish your work you pick one and you let it be and it will tell you what to do next correct so, that freedom of figuring out two three things simultaneously also helps me as a dyslexic that i am and not to commit to an idea completely true the expression and the mind to go wherever it wants to it has been really and i'm enjoying myself so much thank you you're welcome but you've been doing fabulous work i've been seeing your work and i don't say it just like that conceptually your drawings are very very strong they're superb i love them thank very you. nice i'm i'm really looking forward to take this forward Yeah. Sure. So Arzan coming to the question of absolutely right what would you like to talk to like what would you like to ask me based on your handwriting sample what uh okay so based on let's see let's see what do i hate what do i detest the most let's see what do i what what sort of uh, normal usually people mm-hmm. judge me and and you see me I, i get angry very rarely okay i get upset i get hurt very badly i get angry very What gets me angry? Let's see if you can make up from that. So, what gets me annoyed? What gets me ticked? I feel if people genuinely, and I'm saying this like you know, other things you're very very tolerant about, and also as a person you're clear about what you want and what you don't want. So you don't have a lot of complicated expectations from people. True. So that is not your problem. So you would get irritated if somebody says and they don't do it, and you're like, but why didn't you do it? So that irritation. But if somebody genuinely breaks your trust, hmm. that is your point of view. True, true, true. Like that is the only thing. If you say if correct, come to you, and if you said you, it matters to you, and yes, yes, yeah. And you know there are moments where you release your sense of being in control because you trust the other person. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And when that person fails you, yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And 
one of the small small things that irritate me and people know me by that is my punctuality i am over punctual over punctual like that and so it, i i i know some people who say oh, you're an artist you know you'll come at whatever time for a meeting i said nothing doing i'll be there on the door if you tell me to call at this time i'll call you know so it, it's it's by my work line is very defined and very very professional you know that way so i feel one of the things that is amazing about you and i you know i've seen your work from the time i met you till now i've been following you and admiring what you do i feel one of the things you do is you show up every day yeah many artists or many creative professionals do not do like they feel they they have this inborn talent and then they would you know uh, call upon it and when the assignment and project is in front of them and it will work hmm. but like you have to be there and you have to yes show Yes. Yes. How your craft starts trusting you. Correct. True. True. Yeah. And like you know, matter in small or big ways. Yeah. Keep showing up. So tell us more about that. I think. So basically, I I I have these couple of beliefs. Okay. Uh. So punctuality being one of them. Sorry. Yeah. Punctuality being one. Completely. Like I I know some very big clients of mine. and i walk into his cabin literally on the dot and he say i can set my watch at the silver match so I, i love doing that and another thing i do is i stick to deadlines yeah. when i when i promise a piece i stick to deadlines of course very unusually sometime or the other if if something some wayward uh, incident happens otherwise otherwise i stick to my deadlines completely and but you'll be surprised that uh, as an architect so i work with so many architects they like there's one architect who told me go to this client and all that but don't give them a timeline you do it in your own sort of time i said don't tell me that i said you know moment you tell an artist that the he's all over the place to me you know like i i know i've got i've got infinite amount of time to create this so you go all over the place you have to set a deadline i'm going to pause you here this is so interesting yeah. when i look at your handwriting this hmm. Wait, where the the small letter T, the lower case letter T, if you cut it halfway, like a plus sign, and that horizontal line is halfway, that makes you an end result oriented person. Okay. So you do have that T, and describing okay. is exactly that behavior. Yeah. Like, I need a deadline. Give me where I where is my result? Yeah. <laughs> How much more complicated it is? You tell me what the result looks like, and I will work towards it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I like being bound by timelines and all that, so that then you can apply your mind in a way that it is limited. You don't go all over the place because I, I do, I do so many things together. I literally do so many things. I'm dealing. I'm doing a lot of work with NGOs. I'm conducting workshops uh, right now. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, counseling uh, IV art children as to what to do and all that. the people who come to me and say talk to my child is not doing anything and you know just think about experiment so and so beside cleaning the ceiling fans oh everything everything beside i'm telling you beside doing that yes besides cleaning the ceiling fan since past 3 or 4 days i literally have been i i just i go to a studio now i go to a studio just about one or two hours and i started cleaning the studio single handedly i said let me clean i, I just go there i don't have anything to do right now so I mean, it's been shut for such a long time. I'm only cleaning like crazy. I have uh, uh, two masks and a shield and gloves and this and that, and I'm cleaning the studio. So it's it's like it's wonderful to me. You know, it's my own space. You know, it's a like good part. Your hands dirty again, so that that battle. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so um, you know, when we when we look at uh, artist handwriting and signature, 
there's always this, um, I have found, you know, the intuitive and creative and non-structured kind of flow. I don't see that in your writing, but I mm. do see that in your signature. Okay. Have flourishing lines, whereas mm. your handwriting is very structured and, you know, very contrast. And is what uh, is your public images. When you have that contrast, it's so beautiful to see how that has manifested as, as your style, right? As a person, when people look at you, they look at you as this creative person who can bring in ideas out of anything, which you are. But yeah. when it comes down to bringing that idea into actual work, you break it into a project, you make sure yes. you have timelines and you have detailing and everything. Also with architectural uh, you know, uh, principles in place because a lot of yes. work is like tilting, uh, you know, it looks like they're moving, they're balanced. Yes, yes, yes. balance is perfectly maintained. So there's a lot of time that goes in that creative aspect. Correct, true. That's so interesting. Like it's always (laughs) which were your monumental works for you? Uh, The large ones. Uh, Sorry, uh, sorry. What was your question again? Uh, Let me rephrase. Not monumental in terms of size, but which uh, you know pieces that you did that were very very close to you. Okay, I'll tell you. So this was in in ninety six in nineteen ninety six in my exhibition at the Jangir Art Gallery. Uh, I, I love working with science, with balances and stuff like that. So if you know, I've done like twenty seven footers which balance on one toe, one right. little toe which is six inches by four inches. Visually, I take the structure inside and all that. Not a big deal. Not a very big deal. It just comes naturally to me visually. Yeah, it comes. And so, but I have a very funny story about that also, but. What happens is now coming to the first to answer your question about the monumental stuff, I decided to do an optical illusion piece for the first time. I said, let me do that. So what I did was I actually worked through a people. I worked through a people by the principle that if you close your one eye, you destroy your depth of vision. So whatever you see, it all comes together. So I did this huge piece, which was about 12 feet tall, which had very abstract uh, wood and chains and just some metal flying around on it. A nice thin rod with stuff like that. You couldn't make out. It looked like an abstract piece just standing in the air. But then I had a small little mirror there at 45 degrees and a peephole. So when you look through the peephole, it directs your view upwards and you see the whole crucifix and Christ hanging on the cross. And it came out so beautifully. And I love seeing the reactions of people. That's something I love. Uh, and believe me, seriously, whether they hate them or love them, I don't care. I just love Personal reactions. Yeah, I just love it. You know, I I don't mind someone coming and telling me what rubbish have you done. You know, but I love that reaction. Instead of someone looking at it and just going away, I would like like it if there's some reaction. So it was wonderful. I would sit far and I would see, and people would look through the people, see it, and then they would come out and try to find where's that image. Again, go there and see it, and again try to come out and find. But I had done it through a people so that everything sort of lined up into that image. You know, so that's that's one of my favorite pieces. That is, I'm very proud to say that is with uh, with Mr. Noshitalati, architect Noshitalati, in his house as one of his main pieces. Okay, and the other one was because of the connection that was INS Vikrant, the memorial that I did for INS Vikrant from the scrap of the Vikrant itself. So when the government decided to literally destroy it and sell it off, uh, literally per kg, it was sold off as the weight of iron. Okay. Uh, the the fighter pilots on the that flew from the decks of the Vikrant came to me, uh, headed by Captain uh, Midyoma Bada, uh, Commander Midyoma Bada. 
uh, Commodore, sorry, Commodore Media Mobile. And he said that, Arzan, let's go to the scrapyard. We have decided to pool in our money. The fighter pilots, can you imagine? Their pays must have been nothing. Oh they God. decided to pool in their money, buy scrap. They gave it to me and I made the monument for them out there at, at cost. I did it at very, very less because it was a huge thing. And we just got together. And the thing is, you know, how they felt for it. This is something we ignore so badly. You know, our special forces, everyone, they are so badly ignored. These fellows actually have our country in their hearts, you know. And they, they felt like crying. He said, when we used to go out and on, on, in the plane and come back to the mothership, they would feel that they've come back to their mother. He said, the first thing they would do is shower and sit in the mess and have a warm cup of soup and all that. He said, it looked as if they were, they felt as if they were being sort of, how you say, uh, enfolded by, by their mother. He said, that was our mothership, you know. And he said, such a sad thing that is broken, but now it's out there as a monument, you know. So that made them very happy. So that was a very special connection for me. So I, I feel that about all the artists and I, you know, I want to ask this question uh, about the emotions and the art. So when you invest so much of time and energy in creating something and it's a journey, it's not a one-time thing. It's a Correct. Journey, you know, some pieces take like, a long time to create. So when you sell it or when you give it away, is it like a part of you going away? Like how is that? How does that work? Oh, superb. That's a brilliant question you asked. So I, of course, I know I have to sell. <laughs> That's the way I survive now. It's my only uh, livelihood. But uh, very interesting. I'm very particular about who it goes to. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very particular. I'm very particular. There are clients I have walked away from and saying nothing doing. I'm not going to work for you. my piece. Sorry, sir. <laughs> Literally, I'm not joking. I, I, I have walked away. I have walked away from some clients who have just no idea of what I've been called to cite for. The architect is there. The architect is trying to explain what I'm going to do. Uh, when I show them my works, yet, then, I mean, stupid stuff like, you know, how will this look in my house? Are Baba, that's not for you. It's, I mean, you, they, you know, they don't even understand about uh, me trying to understand the client. I, I go into a lot of detail, whether it's a small six inch piece for a residence or a 20-footer for a corporate. I get to know what the client is about, what his likes are, dislikes are, what will go well in that environment, what materials will work, what will not work. It all comes now like a flash, you know. Uh, it, it comes after so many years of practice. There's a process, but, there's a process behind it for you. Yes, to... yes, there's a process behind it, but it comes out. Now it collects and comes out, you know. So, so and people who don't understand, I don't like working for. So, now was coming to my first show in 93. Yeah. 1993, I had my first show where I started sculpting in 82. Okay? Yeah. So 11 years of work, whatever yeah. I got and put at my parents' house, I collected in a car and I put it in the exhibition at Jangirat Gallery. Yeah. Okay, that was my first show in 93. Wow. And uh, believe it or not, my prices at that time started from 700 rupees <laughs> <laughs> to maximum 25,000 rupees. 25,000 was... Like 93. 93. For the first show. For the first show. For yeah. the first show. And I know the architect, uh, Ratan Bhatli boy, who I know very well now, he bought three pieces from me. He bought three pieces. I, I, and I, I completely can relate to what you're asking. I, when the last day came and people came and started picking away the pieces, my face fell. And Kusnuma saw me, said, what happened? I said, they, they said, they're taking it out. He said, actually, they're taking it out. They bought it. I said, bloody hell, the old place was empty except for a few pieces which I still got at my dad's house. Uh, which are my first pieces and all which are out there. 
I I remember handing that one a small torso which Ratan has on his table right now. I was giving it to him, and he said, "Arzan, you need to let go." And I was actually holding. I was not giving it to him. <laughs> I said, "Arzan, he said you have to leave it so I can take it." I said, "I take it." And I was like very sad the first time when I uh, sold the pieces. But then now, I mean, the commission pieces, the, where they go, believe it or not, Aditi, except for maybe one or maximum two clients till date. in my entire career each and every client of mine is a friend of mine now so even before the piece is over i get so close to them they become good friends not just friends good friends i i have a i have an 80 year old dearest friend of mine in pedarod who calls me uh, every time for my birthday he has to have a lunch with me and on my anniversary and he still keeps in touch and it started with what one railing that i designed for him you know so it is that what i cherish very much so to me if the person is not proper to hell with it i go away and i don't come back i don't want to deal with it <laughs> and it's nothing to do with the payment it's nothing to do with the payment it's to do with that person and then how i sort of relate to it you know also also i feel like many times it's about playing along and and you know it's like the like dancing relationship you don't know the rules figure it out the dance floor with yeah them. yeah of course of course i mean you you got as i said touch wood i mean brilliant clients all through i've been so lucky that way brilliant clients all through and people who i know who i can call up any time uh if i've done and work out of town and if i've gone for another meeting and i have time i tell that person oh, i am coming to see my sculpture i said how is it so <laughs> yeah yeah come also that's the kind of relationship i've got you know i can literally walk in and see any piece of mine any time you know it's so amazing It's so amazing to know that you know, like every time I I speak with you or interact in whichever form, there's this genuine commitment to <laughs> moment and this childlike enthusiasm, which is endearing always. That 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 childlike enthusiasm, I hundred percent, I would say that is what drives me completely. That is what I, I you won't believe it. I'm not joking. Seriously, I get excited when I see a plane flying. And so, okay, I was with artists. He said, "What are you? Are you a small child?" I said, "Look, no." I said so close. It, but you said you're mad. You said you're, you're getting excited with a play. I mean, literally, that happens to me. I mean, I love it. You know, I mean, all I'm these small you. things. How lucky are you? Because people are <laughs> not going about life. Forget about these small yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love it. I love it. We are speaking about like observing people, dog, somebody feeding. You know, I feel as a person, I always looked at these moments, and my favorite pastime is to watch people. Creepy as it may sound, and yeah. No, it is. It is observing the micro expressions. Yeah, yeah. Before they speak, how their their body and their their Correct. becomes all of that becomes part of the study. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Of course. But for you, yeah. also like yes, I this curiosity to move. Yeah, on. and and I mean, one of the best things that I like about Europe is you can sit out in a cafe and look at hundreds of people. That's hundreds true. of people. You know, it's like they say, you know, watching the world go by. That's what you do in a Parisian cafe. You sit there and. you just see a whole tableau unfolding in front of you you know where where i mean if you go in a good climate the sun is bright it's nice and cold i mean not not uncomfortably cold but it's cool you have your coffee and there is just colors and everything floating around you you know it's wonderful just to see people you know and i mean i'm sure you've noticed in different cities people look different the space is different you know completely and in new york in new york you have this tak 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 And in some other places, you have it very nice and low. I, you walk through a village in Germany sometimes, and you just see these people lying around. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been to Karnataka in Hampi, where 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 you see people reacting differently. 
you go to a city like Bangalore, you find people re- re- reacting differently. And everywhere, and of course, it's a known fact, the bigger the city, the people have lost their aura, <laughs> they've lost their being. They, they get engulfed in the city life and lose certain things, you know. That's, that's, that's why we need vacations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially now. After yeah, yeah. You, bet, you bet, you bet, you bet. You bet. This virus has put us on a permanent vacation right now. <laughs> yeah, but all all people watching and all your our family members and probably the the birds outside. That's all we get to do now. Yeah, true, true, true. Uh, Alan, which was your favorite failure? Ah, uh, I'll tell you what. Yes, okay, that's good. Very good question. Um, so I I there is seldom I've done a sculpture uh, where I've been called. I, I I give sketches if I'm called for a commission sculpture. It's a huge piece. Naturally, you have to give sketches to your clients. There have been some clients who have said, don't give me a sketch. You create whatever you want. Right. Now, that, put, that puts tremendous load on you. But it's no, damn mean, good fun because then you have to prove yourself 100 times more. Yeah. Okay. I did it once and it worked brilliantly well. Brilliantly well. I mean, they loved it and they haven't even seen the sketch or anything. Right. Just some uh, showed me the space, designed for it, put it, I put it and everyone loved it and it's still hanging there. Yeah. I tried it another time. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it there. The client came. He said, "What is this?" He said, "I don't like it. You know, it looks. It, this is not what I had in mind." But he told me not to show me a sketch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I mean, there is no way I will say you told me this, so now you have to take it. There is no way. I removed it then and there. I removed it and took it back to the studio. And believe me, it's one of my finest pieces. Oh. It's absolutely one of my finest pieces. And I was lucky that within within 10 days, the gallery I was dealing with yeah. managed to give it to a finance company in Singapore. Same size, just fit there directly. Oh and would you believe the, the, the title yeah. of the sculpture was absolutely in tune with the, with the name of his company. It just fit there. So probably it was actually meant for him. Oh <laughs> wow. So, so it happens like that, you know. So it does happen like that. That, that makes sense. Like, but how how did you deal with it when you knew that they don't like it and you have to redo the whole process? I, I was very frankly, I was okay. I, first thing was to remove it from there because I didn't want everyone to see it and keep on criticizing it as to, you know, like, why is this here? I mean, it's a different thing that you put it out. People, I'm okay with criticism and all that. But them not wanting it there was a major issue for me. You didn't want the piece to hear that? No, I just wanted it to come back. I said, remove it then and there. Tomorrow is nothing doing. I think don't like it, but get it out right now. Right now. And we had spent two days fitting it. We took one day to remove it. It was a laborious process. I had nothing doing. Just remove it out and take it to the studio. After that story ended there, I said, then we'll see what happens, you know. So it's it's like, I, I don't want to displease anyone with my pieces, you know. So, I mean, I'm doing it for my pleasure. I'm doing it for their pleasure. Right. I don't want something to hang somewhere and then people say, you know, what the hell is this? So, so that was one. Besides that, like I said, one or two clients who I will not mention, but who I completely stay away from. Otherwise, that would everything is okay. Everything is okay. <laughs> so my last question for this conversation. Sure. So when you feel stuck on creative block that we hear a lot of artists talk about. Now, what are your go-to mantras? What are your ways of like going around it, figuring it out? What do you do? Uh, basically, like, like I said, I thrive on doing things which are not done. Yeah. And and my, my one of my most interesting sayings is the impossible just takes a little longer. Okay, I love that. And people ask me where I heard it. So 
you won't believe it there is a singer called dr alban okay dr alban has a song called africa if you hear that song called africa he keeps on saying in the background the impossible just takes a little longer which one is that that just stuck in my head just stuck in my head and i have been using that ever since you know mm-hmm. and just so i mean it, uh, just to give you an idea the dolphins are worldly yeah i made that in 13 days what do you say that sculpture was made in 13 days i like it's just one of those things where everything came together i had a 15 day deadline okay. i had a 15 day deadline which i took up and every alarm everyone around me thought i was mad because the client said it is not done in 15 days finish you keep it you know yourself i'm not even going to put it so i took this up and i don't know how it happened it just happened we got in more workers and and uh, stayed at the workshop my kids were small we used to sleep at the studio uh, people working in three shifts and it just happened so there's this i'm known for jumping into things without knowing risks right. you know so there's this and uh, I, I, i said it in one of the classes you know look before you leap it no longer applies you say you leap and then you look so that's the way you work now you know because because there's so much competition i mean i'm talking about other stuff not in my field that people cannot think too long to start something you have to just literally you know start out and then see how it goes and figure out you know jump in and then sort of find out so that's what i do but now you're kind of sitting and say okay that people should do or that one should do but you always did that you always yes. jumped in and you figured it out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. always always i mean i I've, i've been i've been known for saying yes even before that person completes the sentence i've been actually blamed for it <laughs> so like someone calls me for a judging thing or something I, and they explain i say yes yes is there what yes you need to hear me out i said okay fine but i said i'm okay i'm accepting it you know <laughs> so it's like <laughs> lightning speed and how <laughs> thank you so much azad this was welcome to to hear your perspective on things and also also seeing that when we look at career choices we look at you know really difficult problems and and challenges they did not be overwhelming they can be playfully handled oh, of course of course you know one step at a time we yes. started but talking to you is like living that and experiencing it in every <laughs> that you bring that that's really really amazing thank you so much for being so, on so one thing one thing i'm about your about what you do what you've been doodling and creating yes so yes. i've been looking at it and of course there's 20 people on the group but your pieces stand out because there's a lot of thought behind it Yes. there's a lot of thought and there's a story behind it of course i do my doodles just freely and all that but you have, what you managed to do is you managed to take the technique sort of split it apart and i see so much uh depth in your works you know what you should do you should frame all of these and put them properly as a story at some point of time they will actually read out to you what you've been trying to decipher at this time you know it's wonderful very nice because you know i have made this a rule i do some doodling and especially in in this case i also look at it like some art like i'm not only doing of course of course yes um, yes throughout the day i speak to so many people and every person leaves some or other impression correct correct what stays with me i try to yes know, i don't know the yes. technique yet but i try to get to that thought with it but only commitment here is every day minimum 15 minutes of doodling okay It's, it's what you're talking about is exactly like like a, what do you say like a cardiogram machine isn't it you're reading that person you have a pen in your hand and then you <laughs> but but your your vibrations from him is making him or her is making you do something on paper you know wonderful i am looking forward to this journey i'm doing all the classes that you're going to super 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 august and thank you so much for being here welcome welcome as always always a pleasure <laughs> thank you Thank you.
Impossible takes a little longer. I am going to remember this and tell myself every time I hit a dead end. Arzan knows how to take up a challenge, question the norm, and execute his ideas. However, many people struggle to do that. Many people have great thoughts, amazing ideas, great inspirations, but they do not dare to take any action. This Friday, let's talk about procrastination. Aaj kare so kal kar, kal kare so parso. Itni bhi kya jaldi yaro, jina hai jab barso. Now that exact attitude gets us in trouble. Let's talk about procrastination and what exactly you can do to resolve it, to go beyond it and execute no matter what. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Absolutely Right. I'm keen to know what were your takeaways from this conversation with Arzan. What small action will you be taking today to improve something in your life? Do share your experience and send me your questions on my Instagram handle at Aditi Surana. If you like this podcast, then don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on IVM Network. You can listen to us on the IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Let's connect on Friday. Till then, happy writing! Namaskar, this is Ashish Vidyarthi. Yes, my friend, these are challenging times. But in these challenging times, we can create something extraordinary. Do take time to listen to my podcast, Begin the Journey. Available on the IVM Podcast, website, app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, we have a great opportunity called life. Cheers. Hi, guys. This is Ayushi. And I am Ritasha. And welcome to Agla Station Adulthood. It's a fun podcast we've got going on and we'd love for you to tune in and enjoy with us. Join us as we stop at various stations and discuss different topics that seem to be bothering us and hopefully Dating, you as well. relationships, beauty, just being an adult, lots of different things. We don't have a great grip on it, but we've done okay so far. Catch Agla Station Adulthood every Thursday on the IBM app, the IBM website or wherever else you get your podcasts.